Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is the Selling Soul Podcast. I'm Andrew Millen. It's episode number 67, and you're all very welcome back. And today I'll have the second part of my conversation with Fergus Dowd. Fergus is the chairman of the Patrick O'Connor Memorial Fund and he's written for numerous publications including More Than 90 Minutes, United We Stand, Beyond the Last Man, Hog McGall, Nutmeg and The Football Pink. He's also the host of a brilliant podcast, A Road Less Travelled. This episode is like all our other episodes. It's not behind a paywall and we don't do Patreon. So all the podcasts are free of charge. And if you would like to support us, you can do so by donating for the price of a pint or a coffee. You can visit CelticFansing.com and you get all the information there. And if your business is Celtic minded or your supporters club would like to sponsor the podcast, please email us at info at CelticFansing.com. And you can also contact us through the website or message us on social media. Well, it's been a tough week for... Myself and most Celtic fans after Sunday's 4-1 defeat at Ibrox. Very disappointing. Each week, each day, each month, they all keep going by without any news of a manager and very little information coming out from the club. We don't know, are we going to have a coach? What the recruitment system's going to be? Are we going to have a director of football? We just don't know. And we need to find out quite soon because something has to get us out of the current slumber we find ourselves at and the club find themselves in. We've no game this weekend, but we've two games left to play, and then we're just going to have to try and put this season on and off the park behind us. Hopefully brighter times are ahead next season, with the vaccine now in play, and we can get back to some kind of normality after COVID-19 has locked us down for over a year now. I wish I had some good news to tell, but there's just none at the moment concerning the club we love. But listen, thanks very much for all the comments, and keep the suggestions coming in for guests. Here's a few comments from last weekend. Excellent episode as always, football and politics, two subjects very close to my heart. Fergus is always an excellent listen on the subject of Don Patricio. I hope I pronounced that right and that comes in from Mick Gavin. Totally enjoyed the interview with Fergus, highly recommended and respected journalist and you can certainly see why. Very much looking forward to 
2 and that comes in from Tony Radden. A fantastic chat and engaging tales from Fergus. Patrick O'Connell's story was told with passion and kept you captivated throughout. Incredible life, incredible journey and an incredible man. And that comes in from Frankie Boy on Twitter. Brilliant podcast. Fergus Dowd has been one of our biggest supporters. The amount of support he has gathered for us around the world is incredible. His empathy and compassion for the Debenham staff is very commendable. The story of our struggle will not be forgotten. And that comes in from Suzanne Sherry, who is one of the striking walkers. Thanks very much for that, and thanks very much for listening, Suzanne. Another amazing pod from the Celtic Soul on more than 90 minutes, guys. Thank you very much, and that comes in from Rob, nine in a row on Twitter. So, folks, don't forget to keep those comments coming in. Fergus Dowd is the chairperson of the Patrick O'Connor Memorial Fund and he's written for numerous publications including More Than 90 Minutes, United We Stand, Beyond the Last Man, Pogma Gold, Nutmeg and The Football Pink. He's also the host of our Road Less Travelled podcast. I pick up the conversation with Fergus in part two as we chat further about the life of Patrick O'Connell through the documentary film that he was involved in. So there's a documentary made on it, okay? I see trailers. Where, where do people see this documentary? Is it on general release? I mean, we started the Patrick O'Connell Memorial Fund in the Belfast Celtic Museum. There was just... But how how did you hear about Patrick O'Connell? Because I know the boys in Belfast Celtic and I've had them down in Drada and fascinating evening as well, talking about the history of that club and they brought down some, brought down the cup and they brought down some, you know, memorabilia and some posters and that to, to show the people that turned up. But how did you, like, or how did you find out? It was my dad. My dad went to a meeting, um, a Spanish Civil War talk, and somebody mentioned about this guy called Patrick O'Connell. And he came home and he rang me and he said, look, I'm after being at this meeting because he knew I love football. And he said, is this guy called O'Connell? Have you ever heard of him? And I said, no. And he said, well, he managed Barcelona. So I was intrigued. And what happened was my friend played football in the northeast of England, a chap called Scott Bell. Um, Scott died, sadly, of motor neuron disease. Uh, he was only 35. And he played for a club called Blight Spartans, who actually were the green and white of Celtic. Um, Celtic went south of the border in the 1920s to play a game. And snow stopped them leaving the north. They got as far as the northeast of England. And, and Blight Spartans, they stayed around the Blight area. And they played Blight Spartans and they gave them a set of jerseys. And to this day, they wear green and white. And Scott played for that team. And um, sadly, he, you know, he was a young lad. He, he was married. He, he had a child. And we decided that we needed to, to raise some funds, you know, because I used to go over to the club. I sort of fell out in love of love with Premier League football and you know you see it today with the Super League and all this stuff so I, I sort of went to start going to lower league games with a friend of mine at work um, in Dublin so we used to go across to Newcastle it's a great city and then we used to go up to Blight which is, is it's just a stone's throw from Newcastle what we did was we decided to do a, a cycle from we started off in Dublin we cycled to Windsor Park and uh, we actually went, they, they took us in. We went to watch Glen Thorne and Linfield. We were sitting on the box for all Linfield fans around us. And um, we then went across Scotland. So we decided that we'd, it was a football ground cycle. So we started off at Ibrox and we met Willie Henderson, uh, the great Willie Henderson uh, from Rangers, great friend of Jimmy Johnson's who sadly passed away from the same disease. And we got Tommy Boyd, 
ex-Celtic captain, and Derek Ferguson to cycle with us. So we cycled from Ibrox to Parkhead. And then we went to Edinburgh and we got Gary McCoy, who obviously scored that goal for Ireland that qualified us for Euro 88. And we got a chap from Hibernian to cycle with us. Now, it was really funny because that same week, Hearts were playing Hibs in the Scottish Cup final. So I was on the phone to a guy in Edinburgh and I said, look, would you have a maroon bike for Gary and a green and white bike for the Hibs player? And he said, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. So we got the lads, we cycled. We cycled from Glasgow to Edinburgh. We met Gary and on the outskirts of Edinburgh, we cycled to Easter Road and then we cycled up to, to Tynecastle. But at Easter Road, then we, we got our photo taken. The Edinburgh News came, which was, which was great. And then we cycled down to, to the stadium of light. And at that time, Niall Quinn was the chairman. So we got into the stadium and, and we got a few photos there. And then we cycled up to St. James's Park and um, we had uh, Olivier Bernard with us, Mick Martin, who played, who was, you know, be, with, with Liam Brady at Celtic and they cycled with us. And uh, we raised, you know, a few thousand pounds uh, doing that for, for the charity. Scott Bell himself, his fund raised a hundred thousand for motor neuron disease. And, and on part of the journey, we, we met Agnes Johnson at the Jimmy Johnson statue as well. You know, so which was fantastic. Was, they, that, the, was that the statue in uh, at Salic Park or the one in View Park? View Park, in View Park. So I wanted to do something. Then, sadly, Scott, did, we we did the cycle while Scott was alive, and he and he, he met us in Kelso in Scotland because we stopped off that night. We stayed in a lovely B and B there, a beautiful part of the world the, around that area. But but he sadly passed away. This was. He's, he passed away in 2013 and then in 14, I wanted to do something sort of in his memory. So I, I, I spoke to Blight Spartans and we said, look, we'll, we'll do a speakers event. So Blight Spartans were playing FC United of Manchester. And I thought, you know, I need a Manchester United angle here. I need somebody, somebody that, you know, a story that nobody knows that would blow these guys away. So I tracked down Mike O'Connell. He's Patrick's grandson. He's in his eighties now and his wife, Sue O'Connell. They had been writing to football clubs, to the press, to everybody for 20 years about Patrick's story, and nobody came back to them. Just totally ignored. So I said to Mike, I said, Mike, have you ever spoken about Patrick in public before? He said, I haven't, but I'm willing to to, to go up and, and say a few words. So April 5th, 2014, I think Michael Walker was there from the Irish Times. He was doing a report on FC United of Manchester. So it's quarter three. There's about 900 football fans, a mix of, these are lads who, you know, mainly Macams, Geordies and, and Manchester United fans, um, you know, Manx in this room. There's, there's us who come across from Ireland. And, and so Mike O'Connell gets up, never spoke about his grandfather before. So he talks about Patrick and, and tells the story and, and what he did in football and, 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 you know, his, his incredible journey. And Andrew, you could hear a pin drop. There wasn't a sound. So at the end of it, he says, look, he says, my, myself and my wife, we live in Lee in Lancashire. Sue suffers with multiple sclerosis. They can't get down to London. Patrick's buried in an unmarked grave. He's been there since 1959. And they're looking for help. And I'm from Dublin. I'm Irish. And I have to help them. Because God knows... You know, and it's emotional for me because none of the football clubs 
you know, wanted to help. Um, so I go up to them at the end of it and I said to them, look, I want to help you. You know, I want to, you know, we've got to get this story out. This is an incredible story. This is unbelievable, you know, this story and what this man achieved in football. Because you're talking about the biggest club and one of the biggest clubs in world history. And he saved them. So I spoke to my friend Simon Needham, who's from Leeds. And, he, and Simon was there that day and he said, yeah, look, I, I'll help. And then Alan McLean, who's, who's from Dumbarton. So it's like the story of the Irishman, the Scotsman and the Englishman. And so we decided that I contacted Podrick Coyle from Belfast Celtic and I said, look, Podrick, there's this story and, and I'm going to invite Mike and Sue over. Could we launch this campaign at the Belfast Celtic Museum, which is now the park centre. It's, it's a shopping centre, you know, on the Donegal Road. And Podrick said, yeah, you know, we, we'd love to have you up. So I actually took Mike and Sue the day before to Stormont. Never thinking that we'd have an exhibition there within a, within a year or two, you know, after starting the campaign. Um, so we sat down. There was about six of us there that day. The TG Carr came, uh, and the Irish News. And, um, we just sat down and said, look, what are we going to do here? We need to, you know, raise monies because Patrick, even though Patrick was in an unmarked grave, he was buried in Westminster in St. Mary's Catholic cemetery there which is one of the most expensive places to get buried in london so we needed to to raise you know a couple of thousand you know five or six thousand pounds the 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 grave was smashed there was grass up to your knees you know it was in a really bad way so one of the ideas we had from the meeting was to contact former players you know to, to see if they would sign jerseys that we could auction off then so the first player we contacted was the late great Johan Cruyff. I sent the I sent an email to Sander Var, who works in the Cruyff Foundation in Barcelona, and within 24 hours he came back to me. He signed, you know, he said, "Yeah, no problem." So he signed a jersey and he sent a signed book as well. And the great thing about it was that my wife said to me, "Look, make sure you get a photo of these guys signing it, because then you can send it to the press." You know, so it started off with Cruyff. Within, I'd say, a month, we had like Figo, Maldini, you know, Roy Kane. We had um, Martin O'Neill, who had just become Irish football manager. You know, just Cloyvert, Frank Roycart, Marco van Basten. They all sent jerseys. We had 40 signed jerseys within a couple of months. But they knew, they knew this man had to be remembered. They knew he, he, he deserved a proper grave. So, um, we did that. And then, I mean, one of the great stories though, as well, is, is, is Bertie Ald and John Clark have been great supporters of ours. And I think it was a 2000, maybe it was the, I think it was the 15, 2015 final was an all, uh, Spanish final and it was played in Lisbon. So the Lions had been asked to go. And I rang Bertie and I told him the story and I said, look, I'm just wondering if you'd be willing to sign a jersey. And not only did he sign a jersey, he brought the jersey to Lisbon and he got all the living lions to sign the jersey, which was a fantastic thing to do. And and a few years later, we we actually raised more money than, than, than we, we thought would be possible, which was fantastic achievement. So we worked with a man called Joe Moran, who's a sculptor in Dublin a UN commission sculptor, and he did a piece for us of Patrick, a bust, which we brought to Rail Bettis because there's nothing of Patrick in the museum and in, in Betty. There was just a small picture. 
So on that night, that was the 3rd of March, uh, 2017. It was the same day, sadly, that Tommy Gemmell passed away. So when we brought the bust out onto the pitch, Betty were playing Sociedad. There was about 40,000 in the stadium. And we, we brought out Bertie's short to Jersey that the, the chap who, who, who purchased the short to, you know, we auctioned the Jersey was actually based in Spain and he, and he came along to the match and we brought the Jersey out. We carried the, the Jersey out signed by the Lions in memory of Tommy Gemmell and we brought an Irish flag out and the bust and we presented it to the president of Real Betis, Angel Harrow. So that was, that was an incredible night. From there then what we did was we, we were able to raise the monies through auctioning those jerseys. We then did, we had two people from the north of Ireland who ran from Windsor Park to the Aviva Stadium in November 2014. It was the centenary anniversary of Patrick and Ireland winning the British Home Championship. And um, they were presented to the crowd. Ireland played USA that night and uh, the two runners were presented to the crowd. And it was the first time that an image of Patrick O'Connell was put up on a football stadium for nearly 60 years, 50 years. And that was a great night because people started to talk about him. And Paul Doyle did a piece in The Guardian. And this was, this showed us what this story meant to people. A quarter of a million people, 250,000 hits, the article got in 24 hours because nobody knew this story and nobody knew this man. And then I suppose from there, Belfast is infamous for murals. Um, so, at our meeting, Simon had mentioned the idea. He'd gone on a tour of the murals, you know, the day before our, our first meeting at the Belfast Celtic Museum. And he said to us, why don't we do a mural in Belfast? And none of us had a clue. How do you get a mural up in Belfast? You know, who do you go to? Who do you talk to? So I spent about a week on the phone to black taxi drivers and trying to get a name of somebody that I could speak to about putting a mural in Belfast. So I got the name of Danny Devani, who Danny is an ex-IRA member who who spent time in Long Kesh. He actually learned to paint on the ceilings of Long Kesh. And um, so I got in contact with Danny and I got in contact with Danny Morrison, who put me in touch with Kieran Morrison, who runs the Fail of Belfast uh, Festival. And um, we, we decided we'd have a meeting at the Belfast Celtic Museum. So I met Danny and I met, uh, Kieran and, and I told him the story. I sat down with him. I said, look, this is the story. And I said, it's not just a football story. It's, it's a political story. It's about survival. It's about a man who, who left his country and kept the football club alive. It kept people's identity alive in Barcelona, you know, and, um, they got it. They understood it. So. That day we went and had a look at a couple of walls. They brought me around looking at walls and which wall, where to put it. So we decided just off the Falls Road is the White Rock Road. They all, they already had a, a sports mural there. I think it was Robbie Kane about Ireland and stuff. So they said, look, we'll, we'll paint over this and we'll do it here. So it's on, on the Falls Road. So about a week later, about a fortnight later, actually, I went up to, back up to Belfast and I met Danny in Cultureland which is on the Falls Road, not far from where Patrick O'Connell lived in Albert Street. And we were having a coffee and we were we were talking about how much paint we'd need. And I was talking to him about, I'm going to get a sponsor. And, and you know, and then we were talking about what do we put on this mural or what do we say and how do we tell the story through art? And there was a funeral outside and the, the, the people from the funeral started coming into Cultureland. 
And one of the people was Christy Bourke, who was then Lord Mayor of Dublin. And Danny knew him. And Danny said to me, go over, I'll introduce you, go over and tell Christy your story. I said, okay. So he brought me over. I was telling Christy Bourke about Patrick. And he said to me, he sounds like a great fella. Can you bring him down to the mansion house that I'll, you know, talk to him? And I said, I said, Christy, unfortunately, he's six foot under. He's in an unmarked grave in London. And Christy Bourke said to me, here's my card. In a few months, give me a shout and we'll do something for him. I said, okay, thanks very much. So me and Danny, we did a mural. We put Patrick with his famous hat and we, um, the, what they did was they created a stadium. It's like a football stadium. And there's a young Patrick, an old Patrick, Patrick as a manager and Patrick as a footballer in the, in the Celtic colours, in the Belfast Celtic colours. Um, just on a wall in the White Rock Road, just off the falls. If you, you know, it's, it's just on the falls road, the corner of the falls road near Sean Graham Bookbakers. And then Danny said to me, look, we've got to put on something modern because this man saved the club and without this man, you know, Messi wouldn't be playing at the club. Cruyff wouldn't have played at the club. Maradona wouldn't have played at the club. So we decided to put Lionel Messi on the mural. And he did this amazing, if you see it, it's just, he's taking a free kick and it's just incredible what he did. But he did it with an old leather football, an old, you know, a football that O'Connell would have played with. And, and then we needed some words to go on the mural. So I got in contact with um, ignition management who look after Noel Gallagher, Oasis. And my wife had been listening to the song Cast No Shadow. And um, it says in it, like, if you, you know, don't take my, if you take my soul, don't take my pride. So we wanted it. To, we took those words and we, but we didn't put them in English. We put them on in, in, in Spanish and we put them in Catalan on the mural. And, um, and Crown Paints, who interestingly were a former sponsor of Liverpool, sponsored it, sponsored the mural. They gave us all the paint. The Fale of Belfast sponsored it. And then the local West Belfast area, they donated money as well. So the summer of 2015, we unveiled it and, and Bertie was there and John was there and, and, and it was, it was just fantastic. We, we had a hundred people, you know, we had hundreds of people on the corner of this street launching a mural, which was unbelievable. We had two Lord Mayors there. We had Lord Mayor of Belfast and the Lord Mayor of Cork was visiting the city and he came along as well. Um, so I suppose from that then and Martha, they picked up on the story and they published the picture of the mural in their paper in Spain. Um, which was fantastic for us, you know, so it gave us, you know, to this day, I still get people ringing me, you know, who are going to see the mural and who, who want to know where it's located, which is, which was fantastic. Um, and then I suppose then that summer, Dublin City Council had started because of the Easter Rising was coming up in 2016. They started this new plaque scheme and I'd written to every TD from Dublin Central, every councillor, every TD about Patrick's story, because that's the area he came from. I got one response, one invite into the doll, and that was from a, an independent TD, a lady, amazing lady called Maureen O'Sullivan, who, who had worked with Tony Gregory. And, um, she asked, she invited me into the, into the, the doll. First time I ever stepped through those gates. I went in, I spoke to her. I, I actually, interestingly enough, I brought a jersey with me just to give her an example of the, the same jersey. It was a, it was Jerry Armstrong 
is a great man. He's from West Belfast, and he donated a replica of his of his nineteen eighty two jersey number nine that he, he scored against Spain. So we got all the the Northern Ireland players that team to sign it, including Martin O'Neill. So I brought that jersey in tomorrow, and I said, "Look, this is the type of people who are supporting us." I said, "Patrick's in an unmarked grave." And I said, I told her the story and I said, look, you know, we're going to do the mural. And she supported it. That was January 2015. And so she said to me a few months later, she said, Fergus, this, you know, they're doing a plaque scheme. Have you ever thought about, you know, we could set up a meeting with Dublin City Council and see if we could get a plaque for at Patrick's house? Do you know where he lives? And I said, yeah, he lives on Fitzroy Avenue. So we went in, we had a meeting with Dublin City Council and, um, all these officials and we told the story and I had to write out an application and send it in. And, um, and anyway, they came back and they unanimously agreed that he deserved the plaque. So Patrick O'Connell got the first plaque of that scheme. And it was actually, we launched it the day before the Barcelona Juventus Champions League's final. So it was brilliant because we got huge media. It was on RT News 6-1. I mean, loads of radio stations there. So we, I went back to Christy Bork that week and I said, look, Christy, I'm looking, I've got all these guys coming over. I've said, I've got Bertie Ald coming and John Clark and we've got a representative from Barcelona and Martin Buchan is coming from the PFA. And, um, but we want to have an event. And I said to him, look, do you remember I met you up in off the Falls Road? Is there any chance we could have it in the mansion house? So incredibly, he agreed. So <laughs> I suddenly had to put an event together. Maureen said you compare. It's been a fantastic evening. Now, it's really funny. We contacted Barcelona Football Club. We had all Scotsmen coming. John Clark, Bertie. We had uh, Martin Buchan, who I'd rang the PFA offices a few months earlier. And the lady put me through incredibly to Martin. And Martin would have played for Aberdeen and man, before he played for United. And um, I told him the story. And incredibly... I don't think he believed me initially, Andrew. I don't think he believed me. But he went back anyway and he looked into it. And within 20 minutes, he came back and, and, and called me back. And uh, he'd found a 1915 ledger in the PFA offices of Patrick O'Connell playing his membership union fees from the PFA. Um, so he he came in with us. He stayed with us. He wanted to know everything. They donated a thousand pounds to the grave of the PFA in England. So that night we had, this was in May 2015, we had the night in, the night before we were to launch the plaque, we had it in the mansion house. So so we're all wondering who are Barcelona going to send? You know, what, what former player or what representative? So the day before the chap rings me from the PR office and he says, we're going to send Steve Archibald. So it's all Scots. So I said to Alan, you must be rubbing. Alan's from Dumbarton. So he was delighted. I said to Alan, you, you'd want to wear a kilt tonight, you know, because we're, it's gotten the place got full of Scots. So, um, but it was really funny because I picked Steve Archibald up from the airport and then I went down. Bertie and John were staying in the same hotel and they went to, they'd never had the European Cup in the mansion house in Dublin. Never had it. They'd have, They've had Nelson Mandela there. They've had all sorts of people. But the usher that was there that night, he said to me, we've never had the European Cup here. So Bertie and John had to go over and fulfill a function over at Jervis Street at the Celtic um, Supporters Club, the shop there. So I'm 
we kick off at half seven. So it's ten past seven. Martin, you know, all the guys have arrived. Steve Archibald's there. Um, we've Patrick Nelson from the OFA. We've Liffy Wanderers have arrived and there's about 180 people there. So I get a, I'm like, it's 10 past seven. Bertie and John haven't arrived yet. So lucky enough, I took John's number. So I ring John and I said, John, where, where are you? And he says, Oh, we're, we're circling around this uh, park near the Shelbourne Hotel, I think it's called. We can't find this mansion house place. So I said, I said, stay there. I'll be up now. So I had to run out of the mansion house, run up to Stevens Green, and they're in a four by four with the European Cup. So eventually I tracked them down. I'm on, I'm still on the phone. And, um, so I get into the back of the car with them and we drive down. We brought the European Cup in and we had the Empire Cup that Patrick won and Liffey Wanderers had just won the, the Junior Cup in the FAI. And we had Joe Connolly. You might remember him, Andrew. He won the All Ireland with Galway in 1980 and he gave one of the greatest speeches, Asquelga. Um, in Crow Park and he, he came that night he represented GAA Horling and Joe Kernan and John Mohan represented GAA football and we had Ollie Campbell and Tony Ward from rugby and Joe stood up now Bertie Ald and John Clark are in the front you know they're VIP guests shall we say and um, they're in the front of the audience and Joe stands up and he gives this incredible speech about Lisbon about people who went from Ireland to Lisbon and, and the Irish in London who travelled to the European Cup final. And one of his neighbours from Galway went to the match. So he's telling this story and he's getting, it's just getting more emotional as he goes on. And from the back of his pocket, he takes out a piece of green and white jersey and he and he shows it to the crowd and he shows it to Bertie Ald and he says, do you know what that is? And everybody's like, no, and he says, that's a piece of Billy McNeil's jersey that's in a house in Galway from 1967. His neighbour had ran onto the pitch and got some of Billy's short and took a home with him to Galway. And I tell you, I've never seen a speech like it. The place, the roof nearly came off. Um, but we had a fantastic night. And the next day, we the guys came up, Archibald, Martin Buchan, and, and Bertie and John, and, and we unveiled the plaque. and. It was a huge turnout and it was fantastic. But um, I suppose, yeah, and then from there, we I mean, the ma- our main goal was was to raise monies for, for um, Patrick's grave, which we achieved. We, un- we unveiled uh, a new grave, actually, tomorrow, five years, 28th of April, 20, uh, 2016, 81 years after he won La Liga, we unveiled the grave in Kensal Green in St. Mary's Catholic Cemetery, which was... Which was our, just our own, that was the only goal. But we had such incredible, I mean, we then, you know, we, we, we did, we brought the bust, as I said, to, I mean, that was incredible. I couldn't even get it on the plane. It was so heavy. I couldn't insure it. They wouldn't take it. The carriers wouldn't take it. So I had to get on to Aer Lingus. This was 2017. This was March 2017. We'd worked with the club, Betis, and we said, look, we'd like to bring a bust to Patrick. So Joe went off and, and made the bust incredible piece of piece of work. And um so I rang Erlingus because we'd never I've never gone on a plane with something that size. And the girl said to me, What is it? And I said, It's a bust, it's gone into the museum. And she said, Oh geez, we can't take that. You won't get an insurance for that if that breaks or anything happens to it. So I got on to the marketing department, Erlingus, and I said to the guys, Is there any chance you could give the bust its own seat? 
you know, that we could carry it on the plane. So the guy said to me, incredibly okay. And that same week, Miguel Delaney had contacted me from the Independent in the UK. He wanted to do a story on us bringing the bust. So I'm speaking to Miguel Delaney and I'm saying, I don't even know if I'm going to get it across because I can't get the bloody thing insured. So anyway, that evening that we finished the interview, the guy comes back to me from the marketing department, from Aer Lingus. And he said, yeah, we'll let you bring it on a seat of its own. We'll give Patrick his own seat. So one of my, one of the lads got in touch with Ray Darcy radio show. And at the same time, Paul Galvin, contacted us, the ex-Kerry GAA footballer. Now, I thought he was taking the piss, Andrew. I thought someone was taking the piss. I got an email from Paul to say he'd like to do a clothes collection about Patrick O'Connell's story. So I went back to him and said, geez, that would be great. You know, I, I had a number on the email, so I rang him and spoke to Paul. And he said, look, would you speak to the family? And I said, yeah, no problem. Um, they'll be delighted. So... He was involved. And then, so the Ray Darcy show, they asked us on. So, so Paul's a fashion designer, is he, as well, as, as Kerry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, as uh, a Kerry legend. <laughs> yeah, he designed clothes. He designs clothes nowadays for Dunn stores. So the clothes went into Dunn stores. So we, we got on Ray Darcy show. So we brought the bus to the Ray Darcy radio show. Myself, Joe went, and Paul Galvin. So this was the day before we flew out to Seville. And we got fantastic response to it. And, and then, you know, it was brilliant because when we went to Seville, they put us up in the team hotel and we got to meet the players. And then we went down to, they're called Peñas in, um, in Spain, supporters clubs. And the foremen have their own bar, the, the foremen supporters club of, of Betis. And they invited us down. So we brought the bus down. We had the Celtic jersey hanging in the pub because they're all Celtic fans there. Because they understand the history between both clubs. Uh, Plus, we, so, we we did go, we did go and, and drink the city dry for a week. In yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, so, so we had, we had all fans coming in to see it, which was great. And then what we did was we carried it to the stadium, and that was filmed. And then we um, we presented it to the president, and as I mentioned earlier, with Tommy Gamble's jersey. And so uh, the next day, we we stayed in Seville, and we're in a pub in. You know, the lads brought us out for a drink um, and La Liga TV pops up a highlights of the match and it's and we're on it. You know, the, the first thing they show was us presenting the bust, which was incredible. I mean, one of the final things we did was my wife took me to this film called Lady in a Van and it's about this woman who in London, she's homeless and she lives in a van and she parks in... Uh, one of these well-known writers' houses and she spends her life in his driveway. So when she dies, uh, he gets a blue plaque in her memory. So I'm watching this film with my wife in the local Carlo cinema and my wife gives me a nudge and she says, you should get one of them for Patrick, your man, Patrick O'Connell. So I never, I said to Alan, who's, you know, I said, Alan, Jesus, maybe, you know, in Belfast, we've got the mural. Wonder could we get a blue plaque? So the Ulster History Circle are the people who who um, you know dispense these plaques. You know you you have to contact them. You go through them to do it. So I remember going to the guy and saying, "Look, I sent him sort of an email." And within again a day or two, came back to me and said, "Yeah." He said, "Can you come up to Belfast? 
I, I'm teaching here. Um, you know, I'm in, I'll meet you in St. Mary's and, um, off the Falls Road and, and we'll talk about it. So I went up and met him and we got it. And, and on the, you know, May 2018, we got it. We put up the blue plaque. And then I suppose from that, then Michael Anderson contacted us. He's a Danish filmmaker. This was about 2016. And Michael does films on Eastern Europe. Like he does films on Russia, on Uzbekistan, doesn't do football films, but he supports Real Betis. He's based in the south of Spain. So he sent me Stop a message. Yeah, yeah. It was like written in the stars. He had sort of heard about this guy O'Connell. So he contacted us and he said, look, I'd like to do initially a half an hour doc for Al Jazeera because he works for Al Jazeera. And um, we said, yeah, it'd be great. We're, we're actually going over to London to the grave so we can show you, you know, the grave and stuff and, and talk to you. It turned into a two and a half hour film. Um, we ended up filming in England. We ended up filming in Scotland. We interviewed Bertie. We interviewed, you know, we, Martin O'Neill took part. Um, we filmed in at Barcelona. We filmed at Betty. We, we went to Mexico. We filmed there and uh, we launched the film at the Sugar Club in 2018. And then we released it. He released it in some places in Dublin and then we showed it in England, in London and Newcastle, in Glasgow. And, and then, um, he brought it to a film festival in Barcelona. And so it's just an incredible story and it was great then to have it. I mean, it's available on www.donpatricio.tv and you know, it's, it's out there and it's, 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 it really gives, it tells, I suppose it tells Patrick's journey, our own journey. And, you know, one of the greatest Irish football stories that many people probably five or six years ago probably would not have known about. Um, so, I mean, it was an incredible journey. I'd never worked on a film before. I, you know, we ended up helping to, we had to go back to people and, you know, to Martin Buck and to, to different people to see if they, be willing to take part in the interview. We, we helped with some research as well, you know, to find out where he lived in London, where, where he lived in Manchester, Belfast, obviously Albert Street. And, and, but it was great because we've, I've made so many good friends. I mean, there's, there's people like up in Albert Street, Francis McCann, there's Danny Devaney, there's, you know, Jerry Adams took part in the film. There's a funny story. Actually, Danny was painting the mural and Jerry Adams was walking by that morning on the Falls Road. And Jerry said to Danny, who's this guy? What are you painting here? Like, and he said, uh, oh, this is Patrick O'Connell. He helped save FC Barcelona during the Spanish Civil War. He's, there's a campaign at the moment. They're trying to raise money to give him a proper memorial. And Jerry Adams was, was so taken by the story that he came to the mural unveiling and he spoke. And then he wrote an article about Patrick and the day of the unveiling of the mural in the Anderson's Town News. Um, and we also then, we, we did an exhibition as well because just an incredible story. There was so much to it that we managed. We, we got it. Maureen got in contact with Dublin City Council and we designed a 12 panel exhibition. And, um, up until the COVID, we were going into schools. I mean, I went into the St. Mark's and Tallinn, you know, and Robbie Kane and Dame and Richard Dunn would have come from that area 
And there was about 250 kids in the hall and we showed the film and we sat down and we talked with them and, you know, it's incredible. It's great to, 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 you know, because what's been happening is, is that history students are now starting to do Patrick O'Connell as their leaving cert project, which is fantastic. Um, so we went and we went into some IT, you know, toward level colleges down to Waterford over to Blanchardstown and, um, you know, different, different, different ITs to talk to toward level students. Some also in Carlo who are doing the FAI course. Uh, we talk, we, we went out to Blanchardstown to Cardiff to speak to kids in the FAI schools section about, you know, and, and we also take, talk about as well as the story, but also what's involved about becoming, you know, a footballer and, and, and what it takes to make it and, and how life can unravel when things go wrong. If you look at the story of Patrick O'Connell and what happened to him. So it's great to go out and, you know, we've, I've, I've met some you know, lifelong friends through this project, you know, which is, which is fantastic. Yeah, no, it's a fascinating story. And I think it was an article you might have wrote for more than 90 minutes that was the first time I'd really heard. But when you look at the film, and you've all these, you know, the Martin O'Neill's in the world and Jerry Adams is in it, Bertie's in it. None of them have heard of him. None of them heard of him. So you brought the story. So you should take great credit for that. And your, your pal that passed away, you know, like the, the story from, from then to now it is, and it's a fitting tribute to both Patrick and to your pal, but it's where all this came from. It's, it's, it's an amazing story. And, you know, so many people in, in Ireland and your dad going through a, a Spanish Civil War talk because it's funny, when I was on, the last time I was up in the in Belfast on a stag party, we we were on the um, Black Cab Tour and I went into the shipping shop and I actually bought a bookler on Spanish Civil War. It's only a small bookler on a person I'd never heard of. So your dad went to, that person was probably mentioned in this talk and then you're back. That story went then, you know, from Barcelona the whole way back to Belfast where I picked up that book on, on the Spanish Civil War. So it's funny the way everything kind of connects, isn't it? And if your dad right. hadn't have made that phone call, maybe the story of Patrick Connell would still not be told and he would still be in a pauper's grave. So well done. And it's an amazing story. And there's another thing you were involved in because you mentioned, is, is it Maureen? Yeah, Tony Gregg yeah. But you walked into the zone of Tony Gregg's exhibition in 2018 entitled Working Class Hero. And I think we had a Working Class Hero on the podcast last week and the last two weeks in, in Paul Heaton. But a lot of the listeners who aren't Irish or maybe not of the same vintage as myself, if they're younger listeners, they, they may, may not know who, who Tony Gregory was. And I think it would be interesting to have, we'll be having the podcast. Maybe if you could tell the listeners a little about Tony Gregory and the exhibition. Yeah, I suppose um, that's where it came about in 2018, 18, 19. Um, it's actually around Christmas time, 2018, I think, because obviously we, we'd done the exhibition on Patrick O'Connell and it was a great success. I mean, we brought the Stormont, we brought the National Exhibition, football Muse, National Football Museum in, um, in Manchester. And Maureen wanted to, because it was the anniversary of Tony Gregory, she wanted to do something in his memory. And um, we decided, she just said to me, look, what about an exhibition? And um, I said, yeah, that'd be, that'd be a great idea. So I suppose Tony Gregory, is, he's a Dubliner. He, he would have, from the, 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 the north inner city, from 
very much an activist. I mean, started off as an activist, um, primarily around the housing issues in in that area and and the unemployment and, and you know in the sixties because what was happening in those communities back then was that they were knocking down the slum dwellings and they were moving people out, you know, to, to different areas in Dublin, to Ballymun and different places like that. And they were, they were breaking up communities rather than investing, you know, and, and upgrading the housing and the issues that were there. They were just knocking everything down and moving people out. So that's, I suppose, how Tony Gregory got involved in, you know, politics and in, in, he initially originally became a counselor. Um, in Dublin and uh, he was a, a school teacher in Dublin as well. So I suppose what we, what we, what we found out was really, you know, he, he would have actually also, his family would have come up against that as well going, his mother, I mean, there's memories of, of him, you know, of him going to the local council and looking for better accommodation. So he, he grew up with that, with, you know, with, with that stigma and with, with what was going on in, in the inner city in Dublin, probably never, you know, wanted to become a TD, but put himself forward. And, um, I suppose in, in 1982, he, he held, he held the power. He was an independent TD and, um, he, I mean, the, the people may not, not have heard of or may have heard of the high Gregory deal where, both Gareth Fitzgerald and, and Charles Hoy came to him and said, look, he, he held the, the card. He held the, he held the balance the card, of power, balance of power to, to, to put them into power. And, uh, you know, it was interesting because we spoke to Fergus McCabe, who, who sadly is no longer with us, uh, a big Tottenham Hotspur football fan. Actually, Fergus was a great man who, who, who worked closely with us. And he told us about, you know, Bertie Ahern dropping Charles Hoy off at the, the Gregory building in, in, in Dublin where they, they based themselves, you know, and, um, and how are you coming in and, and then talking with Gareth Fitzgerald and, and how they decided and, 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 you know, what, what, what they would get from, from such a deal. And, um, it was a shame because obviously that deal only lasted about a year because the government fell, but, um, you know, but in that period, there was changes and, and it showed what was possible for Dublin City. And I suppose Tony also would be remembered for as the man who didn't wear a toy to, um, you know, he went c- collarless to the doll. He, he, he refused to wear it, you know, a short and toy. He was, he was, the, he was a truly working class hero. Um, he called out drug dealers from the area. He, he went, you know, he, he stood with the Moore Street workers, you know, the, the, the ladies of Moore Street, who, the traders who, who, who big business wanted to get rid of. He blocked the streets. He, you know, they blocked the streets on O'Connell Street, you know, so he, he did some fantastic things. And, um, I suppose we created, I think it's a 15 panel exhibition. And we launched it. Anya Lawler came along from RTA and she, she launched it, um, for the group. And yeah, it's just a fascinating person, you know, and, and I, and, and a few years later, about November 2019, we, um, we went up to Fail at Belfast and we showed a short piece about his story and about the exhibition. And I remember there was a guy from Holland who came along and he was just, Amazed by this guy, you know, that this, this ordinary fellow who was a school teacher and the way he would, as you mentioned, he would, he held the balance of power and, and the change that he, 
he could see and what he did for his community and his determination. Just totally incredible person. As I say, Maureen O'Sullivan was his uh, election agent and um, she had worked with him so closely. And it was a fitting tribute, you know, to, to do that for him because there's not many Tony Gregory's in the world. You know, there's not many Tony Gregory's in Ireland today. And um, and we probably need more people like Tony Gregory. Well, he, he um, certainly would have been out on the front line with the Dabble and Walkers. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, incredible guy. And, um, you know, and I think it, it was fitting that, that, um, that, that, that his memory lives on and, and what he did in politics, what he did as a community activist, what he did as a counselor, you know, is now out there. And, and the exhibition went around, you know, pre COVID, all the, the relevant libraries in, in Dublin and, and afar. No, and a fitting tribute to, to, as you say, a man who, who called out the drug dealers. There's not many politicians that do that now. No, I was I was I was actually listening to one this morning before I spoke to you, and it was a far cry from Tony Gregory. Let me tell you, I won't say who it was, but it was a far cry from Tony Gregory. Now, listen, like yourself, you started a podcast. This was my lockdown, um, I suppose, little project, and it was it was it was certainly the most positive thing during the lockdown because you're looking for something to do and something to to fill your fill your time when you can't travel or you can't go to pub or you can't go to football or a gig. So this was, but you started one, um, it's called A Road Less Travelled. Because I was checking it out on the podcast and it was coming up of, there was one coming up as that road less travelled and I was going, that can't be it. So that's why I contacted said, you sent me a link to the podcast. I'm always looking for a podcast that is a little different. And I think having you on the podcast and Paul Heaton and the likes of Peter Hood and the Devon and Walkers and we don't want a Maradona. It is a Celtic, it comes from the Celtic fanzine, but I think if anyone has read the fanzine over the year, it's a bit broader than just match day. And that's why we call it more than 90 minutes. So tell us, sell us, sell us your podcast and why my listeners should be listening to your podcast. Yeah, I suppose, um, a road less travel. I, I got in contact with myself and Jerry Farrell. Jerry's, um, uh, Bohemians football club historian. And I suppose what we wanted to do was really look at footballers that have played outside, you know, the, the usual leagues of England and Scotland and, and to really, you know, just to talk to them about, you know, life abroad, dealing with languages, cultural changes, different football training regimes, learning, you know, different techniques uh, in training and also I suppose to look back as well we we tend to look at players from an era when footballers were part of their community footballers were known in their community you know people that you know it's like today they're living in a fishbowl you know you can't get near a training ground um you know we spoke to you know one of the people we spoke to recently was Terry Conroy who um who was FAI, you know, he played out in Hong Kong. He scored for he, most of his career with Stoke City. He, he won the League Cup final in 1972. And he was talking to us about, you know, you know, after a game, he'd go into the local Stoke bar, you know, the bar near the, the ground. And he'd chat the fans and they'd say to him, Jesus, Terry, you were crap today. Or Terry, you had a fantastic game. But he was part of that community. And he also worked as a welfare officer. And he was telling us about, you know, for every... Damien Duff or Robbie Kane story. There's an Adrian Doherty story. There's a, you know, a young lad who, who was, you know, 16 years of age and, and probably was, was headed for, 
greatness. You know, he, he was snapped up by Manchester United ahead of Ryan Giggs in the pecking order. But, um, you know, he, 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 unfortunately, just before he was to make his debut, injured his knee and, and never played again. And, and, and Adrian was into music. He was a musician as well. He, he was a different type of footballer. He, you know, he's, he wrote poetry and he wrote lyrics and he ended up busking outside, you know, Old Trafford and, and he ended up working in, in a hotel in Galway. And we were talking to Terry about how the, like, how does that happen? Like, it's like the X Factor syndrome. You're up, you know, you're up high one minute and the next, your life is, you know, it's completely ended. The whole thing is upside down and how people deal with that. And I suppose it's to look at the social aspect and, and the history of football, which is trying, which, you know, we see it last week. It's been eradicated. You know, we've, 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 we hope to speak to Jim McCallioch when Jim was at Southampton. You know, people in Scotland might remember him. He scored that famous goal at Wembley against England. Oh, we had Jim on and, the podcast. Um, He's absolutely, Jim's, Jim's a big Celtic man. Yeah. And I mean, he, he would have told us about, you know, the, the 1976, you know, they, they won the league, they won the cup, uh, Southampton. And, um, the first things that the new owners of Southampton wanted to do was take down that history, you know, which is incredible to think. They wanted to, to rip it apart. So I suppose what we're trying to do is give people a feeling of what, what it's like for footballers to go abroad to, you know, to, to maybe, you know, for, for instance, like with people like John Conway on the show, which many people may never heard of John, but John was a football, an Irish footballer who played for Fulham. He played with Bobby Moore and uh, he helped Fulham get to the FA Cup final in 1975. And a couple of weeks before the game, Fulham were playing Sunderland. He had a blistering row with the manager, threw a cup of tea over the manager and never played for Fulham again. He didn't even get on the bench for the Wembley final. Didn't even get a cup final suit. I was only in the crowd because his brother Jimmy was playing f- f- that day for Fulham. But he ended up going to Switzerland to play his football. He's the first Irish man to play Switzerland. Had a great career there. Ended up coaching as well. But ended up Interestingly, his family from a jeweler's background, he ended up a watchmaker in Switzerland. So it's fascinating to think because, you know, John was able to do that after his career. People like Terry Conroy, he hadn't planned for, he finished when he was 34. Terry ended up, you know, selling pottery on the markets in Stoke. This was a man who helped Stoke win their only football trophy. So we try and get in, I suppose, underneath the skin of football. And, and, you know, what happens to footballers and, 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 and talk about footballers who have to make a living, but make that living in different leagues and deal with different cultures and language issues. And, and that's what it's really all about. As I say, we've, we've own hand is coming up on Monday. He, a very interesting story. He, he, he went to South Africa during the apartheid regime. He managed and played there. And saw both sides of, of the apartheid regime where one of the young black footballers, um, they had a dinner dance after they won the league and he was actually up for player of the year. And the, the people who ran the club came to own during the dinner dance and said, look, this young lad will have to leave now after he finishes dinner. He can't stay here for the music or the party afterwards. He'll have to go back to his township. And then, which, which Owen was telling us about. And then also, he had the scenario where he, he managed a, 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 an all black club, all black players, you know, from a township and had, you know, death threats for, because he was white. Um, and 
you had the the local uh, Zulu clansman come out and say, look, if you don't leave here, you're going to be killed. So he saw both sides of it. And even he, he also worked in Saudi Arabia, where very much, um, you know, you, you listen to your bosses. You, you don't go against, you know, the people who run the football club. And he told us this story about where he, he was, when he got the job, he got a, you know, a lovely secondhand BMW. Now, this was the 1980s, and he said it was a beautiful machine. But when he finished with the club, he wanted to bring it back home. So he was organizing transportation, and the Saudi Arabians said to him, the people who ran the football club said, look, no, I'm sorry, um, you only have that BMW while you're manager here at the local club in Saudi Arabia. So it's just things that are different, that are that are a bit left field. And also, I mean, Owen also spoke about how close we were to get to, you know, Espana 82 and, and, you know, the, the corruption that was involved in the Belgium match where you had a, you know, a bent referee and, 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 you know, what he could have achieved ahead of the Charlton years. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, we want to sort of maybe footballers that you might not have heard of who, who have made a living out of playing in leagues that, you know, people might not know much about, but have great history. I mean, the Swiss League is fascinating. Some of the history to it, um, and 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 John Conway, he would have would have also managed in Germany. So yeah, I mean, we also had a guy called Fran O'Brien on who who played for Bohemians uh, Football Club, one of our uh, early episodes. And um, Fran was, you know, he won a, you know, as a young player, he he broke into the Bohemians team at a time when they were winning league championships in the League of Ireland. And then um, he uh, went to Derby County. Tommy Doherty, a Scotsman, was manager at the time, former United manager as well, went on to, to manage. Former Celtic player. Yeah, former Celtic player. And um, he, um, he, he wanted to sign. Uh, Fran actually went over to play against Newcastle. Bowes were playing Newcastle. And the Newcastle manager wanted to sign two of the players, including Fran, from Bowes. So Fran's brother was playing actually at Nottingham Forest and somebody mentioned Tommy Doherty was in the, was watching the game. So Doherty came over, sent over a private plane for Fran and his friend to fly over to Derby to sign terms. So he said, that'd be perfect because my brother's living down the road. I live in Derby. I play for Derby and I can go and see my brother down in Nottingham. And um, went over, played a match, signed a contract, went off, did his medical, came back, went in, went back, went down to see his brother. The next day, went in to see Tommy Doherty. Doherty called him in and he said, gave him a brown envelope and he said to him, sorry, son, but you failed your medical. The other player actually was Jerry Ryan, who went on to play for Brighton in Ireland. He was a winner. And you're not going to believe this, right? Jerry is Ronan's mate, the producer of the podcast, Ronan and Jerry. Jerry goes over, uh, Ronan goes over to him in Brighton. Oh, so very good, very good. It's, it's a small yeah. world. It's a small yeah. world, isn't it? Yeah, and 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 in the brown envelope, Doherty says, you failed your medical. I'm sorry, we're going to have to let you go. So Fran had to come back to Dublin, devastated. The first person when he came back that met him was Mick Bourne, who was then physio at, at Bowes, who went on to be physio during the Charlton years. And um, so Fran got, uh, he, he, he played again for Bowes, but he got an invite to go out to America and he ended up playing for a team out there who um, were were founded by Paul Simon, the musician, and um, the Rolling Stones manager, and uh, Peter Frampton as well, um, who was involved in, in music. So he had a great life. He lives in Seattle to this day. 
That sounds like a, that sounds like one I want to listen to. Now I'm going to listen to them all. Um, I'm looking forward to the Owen Handman as well. I'm very interested in South Africa because I mean, initially I thought when when you said Owen Handman, you know, to apartheid South Africa, I thought uh, bollocks. But then when I well, you know, I'm going to hear the story, so that's going to be that's going to be really good. Listen, before I let you go, right? Uh, Fossey, thanks very much for coming on. It's no been it's been a fascinating few hours, and I think we've another two path. <laughs> um, it I I was the silence was just a fascinating story of of Patrick O'Connell and, and, and we touched on other things as well but I have a time machine and I suppose the journey you went on of Patrick O'Connell was you know a big part of your life so if I could put you in the time machine and you could go back firstly if you could go back and meet Patrick O'Connell what when would it be what era is there is there a moment in, in, in his life that you, you would have would like to go back to um Oh yeah, I mean, no doubt that I'd love to have gone back to meet him the night he won the La Liga Championship with Real Betis. I'd love to have been in the stadium to see that. I'd say it must have been incredible, you know, because yeah. that is that 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 would be it, um, you know, and 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 maybe I'd love to have I'd love to be one of those people in a pub in. in you know, in a London Irish pub in, in England in the fifties who maybe stumbled across him when he was drinking and he, and he might have told me this story. And it reminds me of a, of a song that, that, um, you know, that Shane McGowan wrote, wrote for the Pogues, you know, a pair of brown eyes about this guy that's sitting at a pub talking about the war and he's talking to a young person and, and he's, and he's talking about love and war and, and the old man is saying to the young lad, look, what, what do you know about it? You know, and and I'd love to sit down with him and, and have a point and say, you know, my God, Patrick, you live some life, you know, and, and that's what sort of, you know, and, and I'm glad that we, we, we managed because, Andrew, believe you me, I don't think if we hadn't have done what we did and and, and raised those funds and, and I hadn't stumbled across Mike O'Connell, the man might still be in an unmarked grave. But definitely they would be the two things. I'd love to be in there that night in Seville when he won La Liga. And I'd love to have, you know, to, to have met the man in his years where, where nobody wanted him and to speak to him and, and to, uh, to hear his stories and hear his tales. Yeah. It's, it's, that's what I said, you know, to start. It's, it's such a sad story. It's such a successful story, but such a sad story. I know there's a documentary about it, but you know, it's a Hollywood blockbuster. Everybody has a story to tell that comes on the podcast and some people aren't here to tell theirs. So thank you very much for, for telling Patrick's. And I always think back when I talk about, you know, the greatest story never told. And that's one of them because Rudy Vatter's story, I've, I've had Rudy on the podcast and, you know, his story from communist Albania to, to, to playing for Celtic. And the career he had then traveling around Europe after that with teams and, you know, his son now declaring for Ireland because of it, his, his, his wife's Irish. So it, it's just, um, you know, there's yeah, so many of these stories out there, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting you mention that because one of the people that came to the mural, we got a contact um, just, I mean, a couple of years after we, we unveiled it. Um, there's a young lad um, who plays for Rail Betis and his mother is from um, the north. And he declared for Ireland. He plays under 17s. He's, he, I think he's moved now from Rail Betis, but he was, at that stage, he was there. 
And the family contacted us. He was home um, training with the Irish under-16s team. And the family contacted us and said, look, we could we come up? And he wants to get his photo taken, you know, at the mural. Could we meet you? Um, unfortunately, I couldn't travel that weekend. But Alan went up, uh, my friend uh, Alan McLean went up and met the family uh, and, and this young lad. And that was fantastic because we got into the heads of young people you know, about this story, which is, which is fantastic. And, and he knew all about Patrick O'Connell and, you know, Alan was telling him about our own journey and, you know, it was fantastic. And, and this, hopefully this lad will go on to play for Ireland, you know, and he's a center half as well. And O'Connell was a center half. So it'd be a fantastic story. That would be something, wouldn't it? Well, and hopefully, hopefully Rocco stays with us as well. Rocco Vata, because he's, he's much talked about in the Celtic youth system. And he's declared for Ireland. And, but I know we've seen, we've seen in recent years that some decent players come up through our youth system, but don't get capped at senior level and go off and play with someone else. So it's because they, they've, they've plenty of options. It's funny, but, um, with Rocco, the Rudy and the Albanian president are, are quite good friends. And the Albanian president's kind of come on Twitter as a, he's a bit of a Celtic fan now. And, um, he wasn't too happy that Rocco declare for Ireland but you know Mammy knows best and when Mammy's an Irish when you're an Irish <laughs> Mammy now listen as I said it's, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on um, and, and to hear the story so no, thank, it was you, great to talk thank to you. you very thank much you. cheers no it was brilliant no, and I say um, yeah it's great because you know hopefully people in Scotland will hear it as well you know that may never have heard of this boy which is which would be fantastic and I know our listenership and I know our listenership are going to love it brilliant Thanks very much to Fergus for joining us on the podcast. It was a pleasure to have him on and a pleasure to hear how brilliantly he tells the Patrick O'Connell story and some of the articles he's written in recent times are well worth checking out. And what we're going to do is we're going to share some of his blogs and some of his articles across our own platforms. And don't forget to check out Fergus's podcast, A Road Less Travelled. Folks, we have a couple of, uh, I suppose, issues going on off the field and a couple of family commitments that have to be attended to. So we will be back with the fans in within the next couple of weeks, issue 115, which we just had to put on hold. We took this week off and just came back in to record the podcast. But we will be back with, as I said, the fans in and some, some YouTube stuff. And we have a couple of other podcasts that are almost ready to go. So thanks for your continued support. Don't forget to subscribe to the fans in. You'll get a free t-shirt in the post with it. And you can back us by donating if you like the podcast for the price of a pint or a coffee. You can buy the digital fanzine, the print edition. You can buy some t-shirts or a bit of merch off us. And we appreciate everyone that's been supporting us. Uh, This is, as I said, this is our income. Everything we do is free. So once we can get back to some live events, that's when the fun will start again. But listen, it's been a long year. And it's actually just coming up to a year that we started the podcast. And little did we know how it was going to grow. I'll keep us busy during these lockdown times. So I have to thank the main man for helping me out with this. And that's Ronan McQuillan for producing all the shows. And also to the latest recruit, Daniel Farker, for what he's doing with Celtic Fanzine TV. So thanks, boys. So don't forget, folks, you can support us by becoming a member, subscribing, donating, or buying some of our major fanzines. And your support will help us to continue to produce quality, independent fan journalism, podcasts, video content, and... We're starting to plan live events, so we're looking forward to that. Don't forget to download the app. That's free, and you'll have access to everything we do, podcasts, articles, daily news, on your phone or tablet, all at the touch of a, I suppose, button. 
All episodes of podcasts are now available across all platforms. So don't forget to hit the subscribe button and give us a little review if you can. The podcasts are also available on Sally Fanzine TV, which is on YouTube. And if you subscribe to that, we'd really appreciate it. And again, it doesn't cost anything to subscribe. It just takes a minute to sign up. We're on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn and Twitter. So give us a follow. And once again, if your business is selling minded or your supporters club like the podcast and would like to become a sponsor, please email us at info at You can also contact us through the website or message us on all those social media platforms. We've no game the weekend. We're not back in action till we play St. Johnson at Celtic Park next Wednesday. So, as I said earlier, I think a lot of us are just hoping the season finishes and we can get a new manager in and the new CEO will be in place and we can just move on and put this behind us and I don't really I don't know I can really say because it's just been just been one hiccup after hiccup this season but we will be back and hopefully it'll, it'll be next season so folks that's all for this episode thanks for staying tuned stay safe and keep the faith and we're going to play out now with Claire Cunningham Aaron McCree and anyone who listened to Roland perform on the Fields of Atten Roy around Paddy's Day Claire was one of the driving forces behind that She's a loud woman, and she's also been nominated in Nashville for USA Entertainer of the Year, USA Female Songwriter of the Year, USA Female Vocalist of the Year, and USA Music Video of the Year, Broken Train. So, best of luck, Claire. We're all rooting for you here back in the week, County. Of all the time I have spent away Year on year, day by day I'll take with me fine memories Dear I'll in my heart you'll always be Aaron Immokree Aaron Immokree Do you cry for the absence I've left behind? For when I dream, I dream about the days gone by Missing you out on that I lead me back home Can you hear a calling in the wind Voices over what is Far away or Atlantic seas Dear Evans, I All that you gave is all I'll ever need Far dancing cry from you to me And if you don't receive my call Please always know I'm never gone 
see who sees me come today Blue-eyed, weary and unafraid But a part of her will always be In the green, green grass of that we come to Erin of all the time I have spent away Year on year, day by day I'll take with me fine memories Dear Aaron's island, my heart will always be Aaron the mockery 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 What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.